Welcome to IVF Tales, a podcast hoping to make the world of fertility treatment less lonely. We want to start conversations about different fertility journeys to empower your decisions and build a community that understands. Each week we will speak to someone whose journey to having a child has taken a little bit more than a few vodka cruises. We are your hosts, Tiffany and Amy. In the spirit of reconciliation, IVF Tales would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. As we continue to share fertility stories, we would like to recognise the long-standing knowledge of the traditional custodians of the land upon which we meet today and pay our respect to their elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples today. Hi. Hello. listeners yeah so we're struggling (laughs) struggling with our intros and how we would like to say hello to everyone yeah because I tend to say hey guys and Mm -hmm. I use that as for me it's a very gender neutral Mm -hmm. term but I want to make that more inclusive and watch Mm -hmm. my language um a little bit more there so Mm -hmm. we're sort of testing the waters so Hey, friends. Yeah, suggested? so I greet most of <laughs> groups of people as hi, friends, hi because friends. I have a toddler. Yep. Um, but yeah, if you have any suggestions, comment on our Instagram, yeah. please. Head on over to our latest Instagram post for this episode for um, Naomi's episode mm-hmm. um, and tell us what you think we should say. Yeah. So, yeah, hi, peers. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. I'm. That just reminds me of like Pierce Morgan. So, <laughs> is, oh, is that what he says? No, just because it's close to his name oh, and he yeah. makes me angry. <laughs> he is a bit of a dick. Did you see that thing? Was it? On, I saw it on TikTok uh-huh. where he got called out on his like obsession with Megan. Yeah, yeah. And he like stormed off. Uh-huh. He's like, I don't need to listen to this shit. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And it's like, but we all need to listen to your shit about mm-hmm. her. Mm-hmm. If you if you are interested, you should look up when he interviewed One Direction when they were all like little babies. And they just, like, bullied him. Did they really? Yeah, it's quite funny. Oh it made God. me really uncomfortable because it brought back, like, trauma from high school of, yeah. like, being bullied. Yeah. But it was somewhat comforting and to probably watch. probably the people-pleaser aspect of you yeah. would have been like, oh, God, no. Yeah. You yeah, can't yeah. say that to someone. Mm, yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, who doesn't love Harry Styles, right? Yeah. Like, seriously. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Harry. <laughs> I mean, I can tell you now, if either of my children came home with Harry Styles, I would be, (laughs) as their partner, I would be really happy with that. I was playing a song in the car and Joe's like, are you even old enough? Like, is he even old enough for you to be, like, lusting over? And I was like, oh, shit. Is he? How old is he? Yeah, he's like 20-something. Like, it's it's still inappropriate. Um, Today's episode is where we interview Naomi. Yeah. She tried for a baby for about four years. Yes. Tiff's mild, wildly pulling up the notes <laughs> on her phone. On the we got very distracted. We so, did, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so I think when we were speaking to Naomi before interviewing, we were sort of talking about, like, what happens when you move on from IVF, mm-hmm. and that was something that was on Naomi's mind. A lot, yeah. Yeah, so she's had quite a few different things going on um, with polycystic ovaries, um, level four, stage four endometriosis. Which I think from memory, bearing in mind we recorded this nearly 12 months ago, um, 
she actually had a frozen pelvis mm-hmm. and needed to see an endo specialist in Sydney, but that was missed, I think, from memory, wasn't yep. it? Like yeah. for her first um, IVF rounds. And so she's also got what's called mixed connective tissue disease. Mm-hmm which affects muscles and joints and she said it's similar to lupus so she's got a lot of different um again it's sort of like a multifaceted, multi-layered mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um approach to treatment um and so we do talk a lot about what it's like um to face the prospect of not having a child from IVF and she's really open in talking about coping with that mm-hmm. prospect um and she's also we also um dive into how her being so open about her treatment has mm-hmm. impacted her in like immediate relationships with her friends and family and yep. stuff as well which i think is another yeah aspect, aspect. that we all encounter mm-hmm. too so we hope you enjoy listening to today's episode thanks so much for joining us today naomi on ivf tales thanks for having me no worries. If you'd like to just get us started and tell us a little bit about yourself and introduce yourself to the listeners. Yeah, so my name's Naomi. I live on the central coast of New South Wales, um, which is partway between Sydney and Newcastle for those in other parts of the country. Um, I live with my husband, Dane. Um, he's 37, I'm 36, and we've got two beautiful rescue pups, um, Biscuit and Cinder. Uh, I um, work in administration and customer service for a non-profit and my husband's a carpenter Um, and we have been together for um, almost eight years, uh, married for four years, um, but we actually met um, in our early 20s and so we'd known each other for eight years before we got together um, and then met up again later. Uh, which was nice. And we have been um, trying for a baby for four years. Mm-hmm. Um, awesome. Well, did you just want to get us started with your fertility story, mm-hmm. um, just sort of starting from the beginning, I suppose? Yeah, sure. So um, we got when we got married, I was 32, and uh, we knew we both knew that we wanted large families. We're both one of four kids. Um, and our dads are both one of seven kids. And so we'd always talked about having a big family. And when I was 32 and we're getting married, I said, oh, Dane, I think we need to be realistic because, um, you know, we may not get four kids because I am 32. We might need to think about having three. And (laughs) that sort of seemed like a (laughs) big decision at the time. Um, One of the things I should probably mention is that I do live with a rare autoimmune disorder called mixed connective tissue disease um, which I got when I was 26 and um, we have had no idea how that would affect fertility there's not much information out there about it Um, it's an illness that affects mostly my muscles and joints um, but extreme fatigue comes with it and a range of other things Um, it's similar to lupus if people know that Um, and so we didn't really know what it was going to look like, but what we did get told just before we got married was that I was on this particular drug called methotrexate for my illness um, and that I could not fall pregnant on it because um, it's actually a drug that's used in abortion. Um, and so I had to be off it for three months before we were able to start trying. The problem was that I didn't know what I was going to be like not on that drug. I didn't know if I was going to be able to get out of bed. Um, And so I didn't really want to do it too soon before the wedding because I wanted to be able to enjoy the wedding and the honeymoon and and then figure out what life was going to be like after that. 
Um, so I only went off it a couple of days before the wedding and um, switched over to a, another drug, so I'm on steroids. And, uh, and that was okay. I was all right. So um, we had to wait three months. So I think it was July 2016 that we actually started trying. Um, now, that was fine. And we sort of were doing that for about six months. But the problem was that during that six months, I was having a flare of my mixed connective tissue disease every two weeks, once on ovulation and once on my period, um, which meant extreme fatigue coming on. Um, I was working in Sydney at the time. I was doing a four and a half hour round trip most days. Um, and this flare would come on really, really quickly um, and sort of knock me out for, for two days. And so this was happening twice a month. Obviously, when it happens around ovulation, it makes it even harder to try and, you know, try for a baby. <laughs> so um, after six months, um, even though I was only 32, we went to our, my GP and just said, I'm flaring every two we every yeah, two weeks. I'm struggling. We just need to know, is there anything else going on? Because if there is, we need to sort it out because I can't keep doing this. Um, so she did some general tests and my AMH was good. Um, I think Dane got tested then as well and he was all good. There wasn't any um, any sort of red flags at that stage. So she referred me to a fertility specialist straight away. Um, I think that she could see that we couldn't just keep going um, as, as they would probably tell people to normally. So I went to a fertility specialist and I, like, I really liked her straight away. And she did some of those tests again. And, and the only sort of difference that she saw was that it looked like I could have had polycystic ovaries, not the syndrome, but just the ovaries, which I have heard a bit on your podcast. That seems to be quite, <laughs> quite common. Um, so she wasn't sure if I was ovulating every month. Um, at this time as well, I increased my medication for my mixed connective tissue disease that I was on so that I wasn't flaring as regularly. So that was good. That was sort of put aside. Um, sometimes I think that you're trying so hard to be healthy and natural and all of those sorts of things when you're trying to have a baby. But actually, if you need medication for a reason, sometimes you need to just suck that up and, and you know, have as much as you need to have to survive. Um, so, yeah, so I was with the fertility specialist and she said, why don't we track your period, sorry, track your ovulation for three months and see that you are ovulating. So we did that, um, which is, I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners have been through as well, the, you know, blood tests, checking when you're ovulating, okay, go do the deed now and all very um, romantic. And they found out that I wasn't ovulating every time. I think it was two out of the three times I did. So she suggested that um, I try letrozole, which is similar to Clomid, um, to make me ovulate and to do that for six months and see if that worked. Um, and at this stage, I was really excited. I was like, well, that's it. I don't think I'm ovulating properly and this is going to work now and that's great. Um, so we did that for six months. And so now this is sort of coming up to, um, I would say, middle to end of 2017 by this stage, once we'd had all these appointments and everything. Um, and I still didn't fall pregnant. Um, so I'm just trying to think where we're up to with... Okay, so then at that point, she did suggest that IVF um, might be an option, 
just because I think of all the other health issues, the fact that I'd never fallen pregnant, that it was un it seemed to be unexplained infertility. So um, we thought in um, 2018 that we would look at starting IVF. Um, we didn't really consider IUI. I'd done a fair bit of research on it. It seemed like the success rates just weren't that fantastic. And considering, um, you know, Dane's sperm seemed fine, um, it did seem to be an issue with me. Uh, it, we just sort of wanted to get straight into to IVF by this stage because um, it had been almost two years of trying. So just before um, I was to start my first cycle of IVF, they tested my thyroid and then they discovered that I had um, just very mild but hypothyroidism. Um, and so I had to be on thyroxine. So we're all ramped up, ready to start that first cycle of IVF. And then they said, no, you need to take this drug for a couple of months and see that your levels go down. And at the time that was devastating. Like I was just like, are you kidding? We're here, we're all hopeful that IVF is gonna work for us. And then no, we can't start. Um, and so I was like, all right, that's fine. Take the drug. Yep, good to go. And so a couple of months later, um, we uh, went in to go for the IVF again. Um, this time I started the injections, but when I went in for my scans, they discovered that I had um, a polyp and fibroids. Um, I had quite a few fibroids, but there was one in particular that was concerning them that was in the uterine cavity. And they said that was gonna very likely stop any implantation. Um, they said, this is very likely the reason you're not getting pregnant. We need to remove these things. And I was like, okay, do you know what? Great, let's do this. So we canceled that cycle. Let's go in for a hysteroscopy and um, get rid of this fibroids and polyps. I said to my doctor, look, if I'm going under, do you want to just do a laparoscopy? I didn't know if this is how it works. Like you can just, if you're under, do whatever you can do in there. But I said, if you, if I am, can you do a laparoscopy and just rule out endometriosis? I said, I don't have painful periods. My periods are normal. Like I have no reason really to think as far as I was aware that, um, that I had it, but can you just do it? And she said, yeah, that's fine. So in May 2018, I went in for that surgery. And when I woke up, um, she was standing there and she said to me, um, we found stage four endometriosis. It's really bad. Uh, it's everywhere. It's what we call frozen pelvis. She said, I, I couldn't get in. I couldn't do anything. Um, she said, you need to see a, an endo specialist in Sydney. Um, and I was just like, what? <laughs> because people have said to me, oh, it could, it could be endo. And I was just like, I don't have endo. Like I don't have painful periods. Like it's absolutely fine. I've never had an issue. Of course, I had been on the pill for many, many years. Um, and so I was like, right, okay. But then again, I was like, well, that's it. I've got endometriosis. That's, that's why I'm not falling pregnant. Um, and so we booked in with this um, really highly recommended specialist in Sydney um, and went and saw him and and he was great he explained it all to me he had me do like a survey to answer all these questions which I'd never even looked at and one of the things that it did say was that one of the signs of endometriosis was painful sex and this was something that I had just you know ruled out I just thought that that's what it was like for me and 
you just have to put up with it. And um, to realise that it could have actually been a symptom of this um, was like, oh, wow. Anyway, he was really confident that he was going to be able to clear this out for me and, um, and I would get pregnant soon after that. <clears throat> So he told me that it was going to be probably, I think he said about an hour and a half, two hours for this um, surgery and that they needed to have a bowel surgeon on hand just in case it was on my bowel, um, that they would need to have him there ready to go. Um, and there was a small risk that if it was really bad on the bowel that I would come away with, um, I think it's called a colostomy bag. So that was a risk that I was like, okay, that's pretty full on. Um, I had the surgery oh and this was in June. So it was only a month to the day from the first surgery. I had the second surgery and I, I recovered really quickly from the first one because basically she didn't do anything. She, she went and went, this is way too hard and, and came straight out again. Um, but this one, I went in and I remember waking up and I heard, I went in about, I think, 11 o'clock in the morning and I heard when I woke up a nurse saying, where's Dr. So-and-so? always oh, gone to dinner and I was like dinner they must mean lunch because it's not dinner time and then I realized that I must have been under for hours and hours and hours and then that made me realize this was really serious um, if I've been under for that long then you know it must have been a big job um, and and then I've thought gosh if it was that long then my bowel was involved and so do I have a colostomy bag now and just all of these thoughts just rushed through my head and I was totally like, what am I going to do? But the weird thing is when I look back on that is it must have just been sort of a split second of these thoughts, but I started thinking, okay, how am I going to handle my life if I'm living with a bag? How, how do I move on with this and be okay with this? And, um, and I really hang on to that memory because it proves what my mind can be like to be like, okay, this might be, this might've happened and I'm going to be okay and this is how I'm going to deal with it. Um, seconds later, the pain hit me <laughs> and it was excruciating. Like I can't even believe it. I felt like I had um, a fire or something in me. Um, and, you know, they came over and they're giving me painkillers and stuff like that, but um, but it was just horrendous. And, and I will say, I don't want to scare everybody who's getting um, a surgery for endometriosis. It is not always like that. It, this was sort of um, an extreme case. Um, mm -hmm. And so I had five days in hospital um, to recover and then it took six weeks to recover after that. Um, I will just jump around here because something else important happened at this time. Um, or just before I had these surgeries. Um, I'd been working in Sydney um, in tourism public relations. I'd been working in PR for about a decade and, uh, and I loved my job. Um, it was a huge part of my identity and um, I, you know, I travelled a lot with it and it was, it was very exciting. But once infertility came into my life, um, I was really struggling to handle stress and uh, I went to a psychologist and, and she said I had severe anxiety when I'd never had anxiety before I, I don't really consider myself an anxious person but I just couldn't handle the things that I used to be able to handle um, even you know little things at work that wouldn't be a problem before would just tip me over the edge and I would be crying and and you know struggling um, 
the psychologist I saw planted the seed of what if you left your job? What if you found something on the coast close to home? You didn't have to commute. You didn't have stress. You could have more time at home, all these sorts of things. And it seemed absolutely inconceivable at first. I was just like, I can't give up my career. Like, what are you talking about? And the thing is, there's not a lot of PR jobs on the coast. So, you know, you pretty much had to um, to go to Sydney if you wanted that sort of work. Um, but I made the decision over a, a few weeks to to leave my job and to find something on the coast that was less stressful. Um, and when I made that decision, it was absolutely just the absolute right decision. And I don't regret it at all to this day. I did fight a lot with it in my head because I felt I was giving up a career um, for a family that didn't even exist. Um, and that was that seemed a little bit crazy to me. But then I also knew I wanted to put everything into having a baby. Um, so I had actually resigned when I found out I needed the first surgery. So it, it actually worked out really, really well because I wasn't working and I had this time to recover without thinking I need to be somewhere. I need to, you know, I've got people relying on me. Um, so that was June 2018 that I had that surgery. And then, um, yeah, he said that it was severe, that it was all over everything. They had to take my um, appendix out. They, you know, removed it from everywhere, but they felt really confident that they had gotten it and I should try naturally for three months um, and see if I fell pregnant then. And again, we got really excited. You know, of course it's going to work. Um, I started temping. Um, just some reception work somewhere. And at this time, it, it was sort of getting on um, a couple of months after the surgery, but I was bleeding really heavily, um, like I had never seen before. And I'm like, this is crazy. You know, I've just gotten rid of endometriosis. Why am I bleeding so badly? Um, and so I went back to the doctor. This was to the IVF doctor. And they did a scan and they found out that, yes, he had removed all of the endometriosis, but those polyps and fibroids were still there. They hadn't been touched. Um, and that's what was causing the severe bleeding. Uh, I think it was the, the polyp, but I can't totally remember. And she said, you know, you're going to need another surgery. Um, and I, I was just like, you've got to be kidding me. But I also knew that I couldn't live with that heavy bleeding like I just couldn't mm -hmm. um, so this was now December 2018 so within about six months I had three surgeries um, so that was my 2018 <laughs> wow. um, so we did that and then afterwards it was actually great the bleeding stopped I wasn't having pain in sex um, it, you know things were just looking really good and we were like yes 2019 is absolutely our year like this is happening um, so 2019 started and um, we were looking at um, I think February in 2019 for the first cycle um, went in we actually got to egg collection which was fantastic um, we got five eggs uh, four of them were mature two of them fertilized we transferred one we had none to freeze um, and it didn't take. So I was okay with that because I was like 
hardly anybody's first IVF works, like hardly anyone's transfer work. They've got to play with the drugs and all this sort of stuff. So I was like, yep, that's okay. So then the next one went um, and I think that was April 2019 and we got six eggs. Same thing, we only got one transferred, none frozen and it didn't take. Um, at this stage, we spoke to the doctor and she said, um, I don't know why you're not getting more eggs. It might be because of the endometriosis. But basically, if you don't get more eggs this next time, um, I don't think this is going to work for you. Um, and so we had a lot riding on that third egg collection. And that happened in June 2019. Um, and that time we got 15 eggs, which was fantastic. Uh, I I think we did change the trigger and um, and the different meds and things, but I can't completely remember what it was that I was using. Um, but 15 eggs, eight of them fertilised and three of them made it. So we transferred one and we had two frozen. Um, and two of them were hatching blastocysts. So the doctor was really excited. She was like, these look great. You know, this is, this is happening. Um, and so we transferred the first one um, and it didn't take. And so, I, you know, I was pretty, feeling pretty desperate at this stage because as far as I was aware, we had ruled out so many things. Like there were so many reasons that this should be working this time. Um, so we went and did the, the next one. So the second of the three embryos. Um, and again, it didn't, it didn't work. Um, I think this was July or August last year. And at this stage, I just completely hit rock bottom. I was just absolutely devastated. Um, I was at, I, I had another job by this stage. This is the one I'm in now. And people didn't really know what was going on. I think I'd told my boss, but not everybody else. And, and when I got the news that it hadn't worked again, um, a, I couldn't tell Dane. I said to the nurse, I said, I can't tell him again that this hasn't worked. I said, can you call him please? Because it just, it gets to a point where why do I always have to be the one delivering the bad news to the person that I love, you know? So they did that and that made it a bit easier that I didn't come home. He wasn't sitting there with anticipation because we always said, oh, I'll, I'll tell you in person because if I was going to tell him it worked, I wanted to do it in person. So we said, whatever the news is, I'll tell you in person. Um, so yeah, I was at work and, um, I just broke down and was just, most people had left, but there were about four women that I work with and I was just pretty much sobbing my heart and they were like, what's happened? What's happened? And I was just like, I can't have a baby. And, and, um, you know, that was hard for them because they didn't know everything that was going on. And so I'm sure they wanted to say, yes, you will and <laughs> stuff like that. But um, they were actually really good. They they all sat there and, and listened and, and sort of supported. But what that sort of, um, I guess, triggered in me was what what's going to happen now? Like we still had one embryo in the freezer, but I knew I was completely burnt out and we decided to take a break. Um, we had a trip to the Wit Sundays booked and we also had a trip to Bali booked. Uh, and so we thought, let's just go on these holidays. Let's have a break. Um, and yes, of course, I got comments from people. You probably fall pregnant now because you're going on holidays. <laughs> you're going to relax and it's going to happen. And yeah. Um, and of course, there's that little bit you in your punch mind. Those people yeah. in the face. <laughs> there's that little part in your brain that's like, maybe, maybe I'll be that person, but no. 
Um, but what happened on those holidays was I started to think there's a really good chance that I'm not going to have a baby, um, that we are not going to have the family that we have dreamt of and how am I going to be okay with that? Um, I think the thing was that I, I had never ever imagined my life without a family and I, it's not that I would say I was suicidal. I definitely wasn't suicidal, but I could not see a purpose in life without kids. I was just like, what on earth will I do? Um, and I realised that that's probably quite offensive to people who choose not to have kids or, you know, that they're just not in that stage of their life to think what's the purpose of life without them. But, um, but that's what I felt like. And that scared me. Um, and so I thought, I need to figure out who I am without a family because that's just, you know, I can't, I can't live an unfulfilled life just because I, I don't have kids. So I started thinking about who I used to be before I became completely obsessed with um, baby making. And I joined a local community theatre group, um, and which was fantastic because you know, mums of young kids don't have time to be in a, in a drama group. So there was nobody there my age. Nobody asked me about kids. There was a lot of older women. There were a couple of, you know, um, people in their early 20s and stuff like that. But um, it was a real escape from it. And um, and I could just go and, and go into these scripts and things like that and not think about anything else. Um, and I found that incredibly healing. Um, I also threw myself into my book club that I have with a couple of girlfriends, love reading. Um, I joined an aqua cycle class and an aqua aerobics class because I, I, I do have limitations with what I can do because of my, um, my health. Um, and again, there, there weren't really many young mums in those classes either. It's a lot of older women. <laughs> and so um, I just sort of were finding different different parts of me. And I did a lot of writing as well. And um, and then all of a sudden I started to feel like, wow, I'm someone who has hobbies. You know, that just hasn't been me for so many years. Um, and there's, there's things outside of trying to conceive. Um, so we had planned to um, start, uh, use the last embryo in, um, say, I think November or December last year. But then um, one of our dogs uh, needed two very expensive surgeries. And because they're our children and we absolutely love them and, and there just was no um, option for us to not do this for her, um, all of our IVF money went into the dog. Um, and so we had a very extended break. We were going to start again in February, March this year, um, but then COVID obviously happened. Um, and so we didn't. <laughs> and um, what I have done differently as well in this time when I've had a lot of time to think about what I want to do, I've um, started seeing an acupuncturist, which I never really thought that I would do. Um, and I don't know if that's going to help, but I really love seeing her. Um, she is a fertility specialist. Um, I get a very full-on uh, massage <laughs> on my abdomen from her while she tries to break down the scar tissue from endometriosis. Um, and 
uh, I, you know, I find it really um, enjoyable to go and see her. So we'll see if, if that has any impact. Um, I've also gone gluten-free recently, another thing I never thought that I would do, um, but for my autoimmune disorder and also for fertility, I thought, what the heck, I'll give it a go. Um, and so now we are waiting um, to do the transfer of, um, of our last embryo. Um, we don't know if this will be the last egg collection. Um, I'm definitely in a better state of mind, I think, while we still have one embryo in the freezer, um, for it to be our last one. But the reality is we haven't done genetic testing. So we still could be doing that. After that, we could still do egg donation. After that, we could look into surrogacy. There could still be many, many years of this. Um, and I don't know if we want to keep doing that. Um, we need to figure that out. But that is that is where we're at at the moment. Holy God, that's just – and I can't believe you went through so many surgeries and everything. That's just – insane I, I can't believe that I think you sound like a really strong um person to sort of have undergone all of that and you know to even admit you know how you felt when you went on your holidays that you know for you life was lacking a purpose without children like that that just takes a lot of bravery to admit things like that because that's a lot of people's realities that they don't want to admit. So thank you for being so honest about that. Oh, no worries. Thank you for saying that. In amongst all of that, Naomi, did you end up going back on your medication? And if you didn't, how did you go managing your autoimmune disorder amongst, like with the lethargy and, and all of that sort of stuff, amongst all of this treatment that you've undergone? Mm. How did you do that? Um yeah, sorry, I might not have been very clear. So the, the methotrexate that I was on um, originally, which was very effective for many years, is what I went off. And then I went on to what's called prednisone, um, which is a steroid. And it is quite an effective drug. Um, and, you know, I can live on it quite well. I'm lucky I don't have many side effects from it, which a lot of people do. But the problem is that it is not a good drug to be on long term. And this is also something that I need to consider because my rheumatologist is saying, I really don't, you know, you've been on this now for four years. We really want you off it. But it's not even a matter of once we stop treatments and all this sort of thing, it's not a matter of, oh, well, it could still happen naturally because I can't stay on steroids forever. I need to go back on that drug once we decide to draw a line in the sand. Um, and so, I cannot fall pregnant on that. So, um, yeah, so that's how I'm surviving on, on the prednisone. Um, and I don't have those flares like I was in the first six months, which is great. It's pretty rare that I'll have a really bad flare. Um, and I've, I've had the illness for 10 years. So you just learn to live with um, regular pain and hope that most days are better than others. Yeah. Oh, thanks for clearing that up. I was wondering how you went with all of that. Um, Tiff? Yeah, so can you tell us a little bit about how all of your treatments and surgeries and things have affected your relationships? So like with your husband and with your friends and family? Yeah, sure. Um, so with Dane, I would definitely say that we have grown closer and stronger over this time. Um, 
I was very lucky because we were friends before we got together and I wrote a blog about my chronic illness. Um, he had read that. So none of that was sort of a surprise to him. And he knew that we were going to have challenges when we got together. Uh, obviously, we didn't know that fertility was going to be, infertility was going to be a problem for us. Um, but while, you know, same as everybody, um, trying to conceive trying to conceive does um, have an effect on the inter intimacy side of things um, and that is really hard um, but apart from that you know we we just love being together and we have a really good time and uh, and so I'm I have no concerns you know it's been four years of that now <laughs> and being together eight years so I don't have any concerns that this could break us um, one of the relationships that it has had a, a big impact on, I would say, is um, with my uh, mum, mostly as well because my little sister um, had her first baby six months ago and um, that was an incredibly hard thing on our relationship but also um, the fact that she she was able to make my parents grandparents and I wasn't able to do that. Um, and haven't, you know, even if I do have kids now, she she gave them the first grandkids. And that was a really hard thing to process. And um and I you know, I love that my mum loves being a nana, but it also absolutely breaks my heart every time I see her with um, my nephew and knowing that I may never make her happy like that. Um, so yeah, that that has had an impact. Um, the other relationships, I would say definitely friendships. People who haven't been through infertility, they just cannot understand how much grief it causes. Um, and you can say it, they could listen to this even, you know, I just don't think you can understand it. People know grief as you lose somebody and you're you know you're sad about it you might go through the seven stages of grieving or whatever the case was um but they don't realize that somebody who is trying for a baby for a long time is grieving all the time and um when you want to for me I am somebody who wants to talk about it and that grew very tiring for my friends and I understand that um so I, w I don't think that I lost any friendships through it, but um, there have been times when I have had to tell myself just to pull away because I think it gets boring, <laughs> to be honest. You know, it hasn't, hasn't changed. You know, I haven't got good news to share. Um, and it's in my thoughts, not so much now, but definitely for the first three years, um, it was in my thoughts 24-7 and there was nothing else I could see. And so, yeah, I, I understand why that impacted the relationships in my life. <laughs> it's understandably so though. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said that people who haven't gone through fertility treatment don't understand the grief process. Um, I feel like there's a grief process in every stage of IVF or fertility treatment Absolutely. because if it doesn't work, yeah, you just start to, you know, grieve all over again and you have all those thoughts that sort of cycle around in your mind all the time, mm. the same. Mm. Um, and can I just and, – um, sorry. Sorry to interrupt you there. Yeah, go for it. Go for it. I was just going to say one of the things that I found really hard when I was hitting rock bottom last year 
and we'd had another failed embryo transfer. We, we've never, I've never been pregnant. So I've never had a miscarriage, thank, thank goodness. Um, mm -hmm. But I feel like you still have that loss every single time because you've dreamt of this baby and, and all of this. Mm -hmm. And what I couldn't understand was that I was sadder than I had ever been and nobody was sending me flowers. And mm -hmm. I couldn't, I couldn't grasp that because if you lose someone, people send you flowers. That's just what they do. And I was like, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm so upset and grieving so hard here and telling people, I'm telling people that I am really, really bad at the moment and I wasn't getting any flowers. And I think because there's not a, mm -hmm. that's not a um, common thing to do. People wouldn't know that because they don't recognise this as, as the grief that they recognise, you know. So I don't know. And I'm sure that other people don't necessarily feel that way, but it was just something that, that was weird for me. Um, and I just wanted to say with the grief as well, you were talking about the, the cycle of it. And you're absolutely right. Um, you know, I think people quite quickly when they're trying to get used to the cycle of your um, period and the disappointment that you get with that and then the hope okay mm -hmm. it's a new month and you know all of that um, and then you've mm -hmm. also got that with um, you know every time you go through IVF um, what I found really interesting is that as time has gone on I don't actually have the real hope in a um, in a cycle as such so when I mm -hmm. get my period it's not like it's, you know, I'm disappointed that it didn't happen, but I'm just thinking, okay, well, next time, what am I going to do differently? Sometimes even before my period mm -hmm. comes, I'll be like, okay, well, I know that this isn't going to work. So next month, I'm going to do this differently and we're going to try this. And and um, and it, it's that weird cycle there as well that, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if anyone mm -hmm. else has felt like that as well. Um, yeah, I'm definitely at that stage in, in our fertility journey and I haven't been through half of the things that you have. Um but every time we go in for a transfer, I'm very matter of fact about mm. it. I don't get excited. Um, and my husband always says to me, oh, like, why aren't you excited? And it's like, because I've fucking been here mm. so many times mm. and I'm just not getting my hopes up. I'm just going through the motions and we'll see how we go. Mm. You know, like that's just my attitude. And that's that's a coping mechanism for myself, oh, yeah. you know, whereas he gets so pumped and, you know, he gets really hopeful and, I think because he that's his way of coping and that's my way of coping. So yeah. it's very – I'm very much in the same boat as you now. It's kind of like, all right, let's just move – like let's just sort of take one step at a time. Tiff and I were just talking about this offline this morning. Yeah. <laughs> let's take it one step at a time and we'll, you know, make the next decision when we get to that, that next step sort of thing, you know. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that there is this sort of – I don't know, effervescent hopefulness that just permeates this um, fertility community. And I think there's certainly a place for yeah. it, definitely. But it's not always healthy to be sort of that hopeful all the time. Because, like, yeah, because the I fall just is just so much harder. The crash is so much harder when you have your hopes yeah, right up. Every time. Yeah. And I, yeah. some months every I do, time. every now and then, I will just let myself run away with the fantasy and I will think, oh, yeah. this is it and I will imagine it and I'll imagine telling people and I'll be so excited. And then every time I get like that, when I get my period, I am devastated 
And that's when I go, that's mm-hmm. right. That's why I don't do that. That's why I don't have that hope. Mm-hmm. Um, and people say to me, oh, you need to visualise it. You need to imagine. And I'm like, well, I did that for years. Oh, you know, I've done it yeah. for years and it didn't happen. I think I've done that. <laughs> like, yeah. So, Fuck. yeah. But, um, yeah. Mm. It's really hard when people say things like that because, you know, one aspect of you doesn't want to be extremely rude and being like, okay, listen, mm. <laughs> I've done that. Don't you think I've tried that a million times? Mm. Um, mm. You know, because, you know, they, they don't know. And that's, I think, sort of what we're trying to do with this podcast is educate people to sort of not say things like that because that's not helpful mm. <laughs> to someone, you know, who's been trying for for years to fall pregnant. Mm-hmm. I mean, visualizing is very, um, you know, that's that's what we do. Exactly. And and then you just sort of also think, okay, well, if I'm not visualizing enough, maybe it maybe it is my fault that I'm not falling pregnant. I, I, I should be doing that. And, yeah. So yeah. It's tricky. Yeah. Or it's like it's the whole the whole the old adage that if I get this next green light while I'm driving in my car, this next transfer will work. You know, like I remember <laughs> doing stupid shit like that, and it's kind of like, oh my god, such a such a slippery slope when you're. I'm so glad pinning you all your that. hopes on a green light. <laughs> can I can I share a story that's similar to that? <laughs> Go for it. It is. We you do weird obsessive things um, like that, and um, I a few a couple of years ago got in my head um, that. If I saw my old car that I um, had sold a couple of years ago, if I saw it on the street, that was going to be a sign that I was going to fall pregnant. And I, I have absolutely no idea where that thought came from. And I, it was probably a year or two that I was um, thinking that. And every time I saw a little blue Toyota Echo, I would race up to it to check the number plate. Um, and people must have thought I was like, I was like, oh, they're, you know, racing. But I didn't tell anyone about it. Then one day when we were about to do another transfer, I was driving to work and I saw it drive past. And I felt as if I had gotten a positive pregnancy test. I was that excited. I called Dane and I was like, I have to tell you something. It's not going to make any sense to you. And I explained it to him and I said, I'm going to fall pregnant. Like, I've seen the car. That's it. And he's like, uh, okay. And he's like, well, I'm glad that's made you so happy. <laughs> um, he's like, what is going on with you? Why are you so crazy? And, uh, and then I wasn't pregnant. And, um, and I was like, oh. Okay, <laughs> that's the word. So yeah, I know what you mean. <laughs> I'm so glad I'm not the only one who does things like that. Then <laughs> it's very weird. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh. Um. So it sounds like you were quite open. You mentioned earlier about your relationship with your mum and you and and everyone that you you've been quite open with people. Um. When you were going through fertility treatment. Mm. Um, excuse me, sorry, I've got a bit of a block nose. Um, is there any reason why you were so open about it? Is there, Was that an active choice that you made? Um, and if so, why? What was your thought process behind that? Yeah, um, I'm, I am a very open person. Um, as I said, I, I do write a blog about um, living with the chronic illness and I have found that very rewarding and um, and I've found it has helped people understand just same as you guys with, with this podcast um, and so it didn't ever seem like anything shameful that we were having troubles and for me as well I did not want people asking me when we were going to have a kid and it always interests me when people say oh everybody was asking us blah blah, blah. I've never ever been asked that because I'm always upfront um, about 
having about having problems and yes we want kids and it's just not happening and things like that um, so for me it took a lot of that awkwardness out of it um, and a lot of that sort of secrecy and and I just don't think I could have carried that um, when I started the job that I'm in currently because I had been so open and and then you know people know that you have that many disappointments and things I thought right I'm going to try and not tell people in this job and it was so hard you know like when I was having a really bad day when I had appointments all this sort of thing it didn't last very long I think it lasted a couple of months of me not sharing and then I was just like right and then I was like not adding people on Facebook and things because I had put out there on Facebook that what we were going through and then I didn't want work people to know and um, I was just like this is way too complicated I just want people to know and also because people if people aren't talking about it then you feel alone and um and so every time I put something on Facebook people would message me privately and say you know we're going through this and and thank you for sharing blah 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 now there is a flip side to that um I found I made a lot of great connections with people who were going through similar things. The problem is over four years, not the problem, it's a great thing for them, they all, all felt pregnant. Um, I have had that many connections with that many women um, who we would be going through IVF together or you know wherever I was in, in that particular stage of the fertility treatment and we would share our stories and commiserate and all of this sort of thing and then um, they would fall pregnant and you pretty much lose that contact um, and understandably they're new mums they're going through a lot they probably want to leave the infertility part of their life in the past at least for now and um, and so you become lonely again and then it makes it hard to make those connections and be supportive to people because you're just like I know that in a couple of months you'll be pregnant and you know I, I'll have to go through this again so um, that is a, a hard part of of being open yeah yeah, I can imagine um, that would be really difficult. And I know, like, as a mother myself from fertility treatment, um, it's harrowing because it's kind of like you've achieved what someone that you care for can't um, or care about can't mm -hmm. can't achieve that. And, and it is, like, it is really difficult because it's kind of like, I mean, I know from my perspective that I would feel like I wouldn't want to sort of, um, and I know you said this in your um, survey too, that you wouldn't want to rub it in yeah. your face. Like, and that's something that you're so cautious of, yeah. you know, because you want to be respectful and honour that process so much. But it's just such a, again, it's just something that's not spoken about. So people don't know how to navigate those waters post IVF treatment. That's exactly you know? right. And I've got to say, I was touched when a number of um, of them contacted me on Mother's Day just saying that they were thinking of me and things like that. And I thought, do you know what? I think that really um, usually only someone who's gone through fertility treatment would would think about you on that day. Do you know what I mean? I would like reach out to you yeah. on that day about that. And so, mm -hmm. yeah, I thought that was sweet. Yeah, that's really lovely. Yeah. yeah. Tiff, did you want to? <laughs> Coming off of that, like what sort of advice then would you have for you know, the friends and family and the people around those going through fertility treatment and... Mm -hmm. um, this one, again, might not be a popular opinion, but um, one of the things that I found really hard when people say to me is, is don't give up hope. 
And it seems like such a positive, lovely thing to say to somebody. And it is actually something that you get a lot from women who've been through infertility and have their kids um, because obviously they remember what it's like and, and they know that they kept pushing and they got there. But it also feels like a lot of pressure, you know, like, and, and I actually now say when someone says to me, don't give up hope, I do say at some point we're going to have to give up hope. Like we're going to have to move on um because it's just not feasible to do it forever um and that is okay you know and i think that there's not um there's not a lot of messaging out there especially not in the australian community um about uh that it's okay to quit fertility treatments Mm -hmm. um and to walk away without a baby um because not everybody gets a baby um, through IVF. And I think that that is not something that you realise going into it. Um, I know that for myself, IVF was the last resort. You know, we didn't want to do it. We, that was, um, it took quite a path to get there. I remember my rheumatologist saying to me, um, you know, try to try by yourselves and then maybe, um, you know, a year down the track or whatever, we'll do IVF. And I was like, oh, I'm not going to need IVF. Um, and so it's... Um, um, I'd also suggest maybe not saying things like, um, you know, are you sure you want kids while you're juggling your own kids just because they're being difficult at that time? Um, mm-hmm. Like I said, I would suggest sending flowers and it doesn't have to be right when someone's had a failed cycle or something because people are always thinking about trying to have a baby if they're in in this world and so if you sent them a little card or uh, or flowers or even a text message just saying you're thinking of them at a random time that's going to mean something to them and and make um them realize that you see how important it is um yeah yep for sure um so Basically, if you could speak to you at the start of your fertility treatment, what would you say? I would probably tell myself that there is no clear path and that there are hurdles every step of the way and that you shouldn't take everything um, for granted as far as, okay, so if you're doing IVF, what you're going to do is you're going to do injections and then you're going to do an egg collection, et cetera, et cetera. Um, There's so many ways that it can go wrong. And I was really blindsided by that. Like from, you know, Mm -hmm. the hypothyroidism to the polyps, to the fibroids, to the end, like every step of the way, I was like, oh, well, this is it. This is it. And, um, And I think I would tell myself, just take each day as it comes. Don't look too far ahead and don't think that every step's going to work because then it's a nice surprise when it does. Um, I don't know if that's pessimistic. Mm-hmm. I, I hope it doesn't sound like that. Um, but it's just, as you were saying before, it's a coping mechanism to know that um, you, you might not get through every hurdle every time. I don't think that's pessimistic. I think that's realistic. I think if you were to say, oh, you know, it's never going to work no matter what you do, that is definitely, you know, sort of pessimistic. But I think the advice that you've just given is extremely realistic because it's a very real possibility 
and it and it's people's realities that have gone through fertility treatment that they they haven't come out the other side with a child mm. um no matter what they've done mm. sort of thing so i think that's a very real real thing that people are having to tackle and and consider yeah. so yeah um is it all right if i ask just like advice for others around dealing with a chronic illness whilst doing fertility treatment like is there anything mm. you could say to others in that situation um uh, I think being grateful is so important um you know you could look at this and and looking at all of this on paper while I was preparing for this it's a lot um and I could very easily feel sorry for myself with all of that but same with the chronic illness um I've just chosen to try and focus on the positive the days that I feel good um, the fact that I have a fantastic husband um, and that I am a very happy person. Um, focusing on those things has helped me get through um, the whole situation. Uh, always, oh, the other thing I would suggest is you were in control of your, um, your medical history. So don't expect, you're seeing so many doctors. You know, I've got the GP, rheumatologist, my fertility doctor, my IVF doctor, my endometriosis surgeon, the bowel surgeon, you know, there was so many people involved um, that they're not going to know everything. So you need to take responsibility for what medication you're on. Is it going to mix with anything else? Should you be doing that? You know, could this be an effect of the mixed connective tissue disease or whatever your illness is? Um, it's nobody else's job. Even your doctor who's trying their best, they're a specialist in one particular area. Um, and so you need to be responsible for, for your whole self. Um, and I, you know, I read a fair bit about these sorts of things. There's not much out there at all about mixed connective tissue disease and infertility. Um, I am parts of groups. I connect with other people online um, and I find that really helpful. But also just being okay with taking time off. And that's a big thing with the job that I'm in now. Um, <clears throat> I get accrued days off um, once or twice a month um, and I don't feel guilty if I need to take a sick day. Whereas before this, you know, in my other job, I wouldn't want to take a day. And sometimes with a chronic illness um, or just with the pressure of fertility treatments, you need to just take a day in front of the television and cry if that's what you need to do. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or get takeaway. Yeah. <laughs> if you want to. <laughs> and chocolate. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And wine. <laughs> All of the <laughs> I know, yeah. Um, is there anything you want to add, Naomi? Anything else you'd like to talk about? Um, I think we've touched a lot of the uh, on, on a lot of the things. Um, but I think that I'll just revisit the fact that um not everybody comes away from fertility treatments with a baby and we hear a lot of positive hopeful stories which we need and it's fantastic and i really grab on to those um to hope that that will be me one day but i think that there's not a lot of voices out there of people in the middle of it um who are struggling who don't have their baby yet um or those who have come out the other side and gone i'm okay 
you know, I didn't think I was going to be okay, but I have um, a fulfilling life now. And even now I'm, I'm looking at, you know, studying again, changing um, career fields, um, you know, becoming somebody for the next stage of my life. And whether that is with a child or not, I'm excited about life. And this time a year ago, if you had asked me if I thought I could be here, now like this I wouldn't have thought it was possible um and so yeah I just want to put that out there that um that yeah some people don't get a baby and and that's um that can be okay it, it doesn't have to be the end of everything but let's hope I get one <laughs> for sure yeah but I think yeah it's a really important point to put out there so thank you lovely um well, thank you so much for joining us today, Naomi. No problems. Thank you for letting me share. It was um, cathartic. Thanks so much for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. If you like listening to the podcast and would like to share your story, we will pop the link in the show notes. Be sure to hit subscribe so when we release new episodes, it lands straight into your listen now. If you could also leave us a review for the show, that would be so appreciated. No words are needed, just stars. If you're on the Apple app, scroll down to the bottom of the podcast page and tap to rate. This makes a massive difference to our show's visibility and helps us to get our show out and about to others experiencing fertility treatment. IVF Tales is an independent production made by Amy and I. Music is by Volet Gilyshenko. You can listen to us wherever you get your podcasts.